Recorded live at Toxin Tasting Studios, it's the Clerical Errors Podcast. The podcast that shows you what's behind the collar. Let's go. Welcome to the Clerical Errors Podcast. <laughs> You're laughing already, Berg. <laughs> it's a good start. I, I, knew, I saw the hesitation, so... <laughs> I'm Bullhagen. And I'm Berg. Welcome to the show. Well, let's get started with our beverage. Uh, what'd you bring for us today, Berg? Well, because it's still summertime, uh, and you know we're—I'm uh, a millennial, so I'm all about the authenticity, right? Um, I brought a beer from Lake Time Brewery called Sandy Bottoms American Wheat. Doesn't get any more summery than that. So here's the description: Our American wheat beer is a thirst-quenching, easy drinker. True to style, it pours a traditional golden color with a dense head of foam, brewed with Valencia orange peel. It is fragrant and fruity with a hint of tetanang hops. The perfect Fancy. light beer on the boat <laughs> or day at the beach. All right. So. Well, um, and, and true to form as summer, it's warm. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> they don't have it refrigerated so at the liquor barn. So, All right. Let's, uh, why don't you go first and I'll go. Oh, it's good. It is. It's good. I I like that interesting wheat aftertaste. Seems a little uh, quiet today without uh, the Vicar app. Yeah, I know. Isn't it sad? Yeah, but uh, it's just updating. Don't worry. Before too long, we'll have uh, uh, Vicar uh, 16.0. Wow. Hey, uh, what are we? How are we going to get by without him though? While it's updating. Well, uh, we're just going to have to use Alexa right now. Oh boy. We have to go back to the, you know. So, uh, Alexa, what's the temperature? Right now, it's 76 degrees Fahrenheit. Well, Tonight, expect a low of 61 degrees. Well, we got a good afternoon. Oh, well, you too. So much more polite than I know. Everybody. We got to work. We'll have to work on that with 16.0. <laughs> we'll have to see if that gets included in the updates. So, <laughs> well, before we get into uh, what we're preaching on, um, you know, we normally do a show dedication, right? Right. And, uh, well, I wanted to uh, do a special dedication today. As you, as you know that, uh, you might know, uh, Tuesday is my wife and my, my wife and I's anniversary. Hey, 20, that's awesome. Five years. And so um, I thought I could save a little money by doing a dedication for her rather than actually going out and buying something. <laughs> well, I mean, this is, <laughs> this is priceless, right? Yeah. No, I, you know, we'll do something nice. But... But I wanted to just uh, do a little uh, dedication for her today, and uh, I think I'll go ahead and play that right now. You want to hear it? I do. All right. I would like to dedicate this show to my wife of 25 years. Peter, play the intro. Julie. I am pleased that I have given you the best 25 years of your life. I will never forget the sermon given at our wedding, the four C's of Christian marriage. I'm very sorry about the first and third C. I'll try harder. The second C, I think I'm above average. And the fourth C, total home run. What was it? Communication, commitment, 
Either way, I got it. I want to thank you for giving birth to the best podcast producer that a husband and father could ever ask for. And for our three other children as well. I realize just how much joy it would bring you if our listeners would rate and review our podcast and add us at Twitter, bro, at Clerical Heirs P, P for podcast. I want you to know that you're my inspiration, that when I clang and bang in the weight room, you're the reason why. So, honey, the next time we are in Walmart, pick out the most meaningful anniversary card. Imagine it came from me and put it back because $4 for a card is ridiculous. Happy anniversary, my lovely wife, Julie. And don't give up on me, especially when it comes to the first and third C. And maybe in 25 years, I'll be at least 10% better. Well, that's a. The the symbols are still going. There you go. (laughs) (laughs) So, what do you guys think? It is a silver wedding anniversary (laughs) gift like none other. It was significantly better than I expected. (laughs) (laughs) Of course, you would say that. Oh, I like the shout out. I like the shout out. (laughs) I appreciate it. Right. You just stuck the Twitter and, in. I, I can't. Right. You, I can't fault you there. <laughs> and our, and our three other kids. <laughs> well, I mean, I've always known I was superior. No doubt. And you can say that because they don't listen. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So Berg, and what are you preaching on? Well, the text this Sunday is uh, the parable of the unjust steward from Luke chapter sixteen. And uh, here Jesus is enlightening his disciples and us by teaching us what a right use of money is about. All right. And I think a lot of people get into knots about this. You know, I go on Facebook and I see, you know, people, you know, kind of bemoaning and saying, oh, this text is so hard and blah, blah, blah. Actually, I, I think the text is pretty simple, right? Jesus explains it. He gives his explanation at the end. Make friends for yourself with unrighteous mammon. Right. Mm -hmm. He actually teaches us how to use God's gifts uh, in a good way. Right. Uh, And I think the text also shows us why we have such a hard time with it, because, as he says, that the children of this world, of this age, are wiser than the children of light. Right. Mm -hmm. They they know exactly what to do with their money. Right. Right. Uh, They're prudent in the ways of this world, whereas we should uh, be prudent. We should be looking for the kingdom to come. Right, we should know that we can't take anything with us, and yet, what do we do? We hoard it, and we, you know, mm-hmm. sometimes make an idol out of money. And yet, this is why Jesus speaks this parable, and he speaks other parables to us, right, in order to make these things clear and to shape us through His Word. 
Mm -hmm. So sometimes I, I think I run, run across this um, a little bit where where um, where <clears throat> Christians try to be um, uh, so uh, good with their money as good stewards or so um, what word am I thinking of? So uh, responsible with their money, right? That it, there are times where it can feel as though the money actually is, yeah, is the God. I know their hearts in the right place to a certain degree, but but uh, you know what I mean? Yeah, where it becomes almost a new sort of legalism, mm -hmm. kind of like if you take David Ramsey. He's got some good stuff, right, Dave Ramsey? Mm -hmm. uh, but if you take it to the extreme, you know, um, if you worry more about your money and this sort of thing, then about the one who gave you the money, then there's an issue, right? Mm -hmm. And this can either be being profligate with it, spending it extravagantly, right? or on the other hand, like a lot of old people that we know uh, who won't spend any money on themselves. Mm -hmm. You know, that's like the other extreme of it. So in it, the text ends with, you cannot serve God and money. Right. So what does that mean? Uh, you have one master. And it's either God or it is money. And uh, and I think that's hard for a lot of people in this society because what are we, we're, we're taught to really worship money. It's the thing that we strive after that we're taught to, to use know, the word, words of the catechism. This is what we fear, love, and trust. Above all things. Right. You know, the stock market fell, what, 800 points yesterday? Mm -hmm. And I'm sure there are a lot of people who are really like upset. And I've got old farmers um, in my community and around that talk about the people who committed suicide during the 80s with the farm crisis. Yeah. You know, um, that shows what their trust was in. And mm -hmm. when it was taken away, when that idol fell, um, they couldn't handle it. Right. right? And so this text uh, reminds us that, one, we... Uh, we'll leave our stewardship, right? Every, if everything on this earth is given to us by God in trust, then one day he's going to call us to account, right? We're going to have to right. give an account of our stewardship. And so we should be prudent and make the best of it while we still can. And, and I would say this too, you know, you talk about uh, a lot of times people are concerned about what kind of, as far as stewardship, what they're living, leaving behind for their children or their family. You know, what's the best thing that you could leave behind for your children or family or family is is the word of God and and, and those type of things, because those are the things that last forever. That's the true God that uh, that even confounds death itself. So so when you think about those things, we get, you know, I think sometimes even parents can. Well, I want my children to be happy, successful, financially successful. But really, what's the first thing you should want for your children? Is, be Christian. Right. So. Uh, just so people know where that might be found. Alexa, where is the parable of the unjust steward? Sorry, I'm not sure. Oh. Oh, she doesn't know. She doesn't know. Vicar's better, even though Alexa's more polite. <laughs> At least she admits when she's wrong. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> yeah, that's a little better than, uh, n uh. <laughs> <laughs> All right. That brings us to the top 12 list. Peter, play the intro. Enough nonsense. It's time for Bullhagen's Top 12. All right, uh, today's Top 12 list is after that epic intro. Never get tired of the intro, do you? Never, ever, ever. 
So uh, one of the, the the top 12 lists that I've done that I've gotten the most feedback from probably would be the, the 12 ways to help your pastor sleep. Yeah, that was a really awesome one. And, uh, well, you know, I was thinking about it and and uh, been married, like I said earlier, for 25 years. And so, you know, I started to think, well, what would be some ways to help the pastor's wife sleep better? Oh, that's nice. And uh, not that I, I can speak for every wife, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, but uh, I do think there are there are some ways that certainly that uh, you can help because I... I talk to a lot of pastors and wives, and, and a lot of struggles that a pastor may have, and the re- one reason why pastors sometimes leave the ministry is because of family issues. Right. And so so it's not an unimportant issue. It, it really is something to, to be mindful of, for, even for the health of the congregation. Indeed. Because the, 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 the more things that can be done to help a pastor's wife do what she does, um, the better the, the pastor can concentrate on what, what he does. And so uh, um, I would like to offer to you the top 12 ways to help your pastor sleep at night. All right, Peter, can you help me uh, keep track of the numbers? Because I didn't number these, and I'm really horrible at that. (laughs) I'll I'll try to keep it count. (laughs) All right. Number 12. Remember that the important word in pastor's wife is wife. Yep. What do you think I mean by that, Bird? Uh. It's not a dual call. She's not Mrs. Pastor. Right. Right. Her her call is to be a wife and a usually a mother. mother. Yeah, I had a an older congregation member jokingly ask me if uh, uh my wife was going to preach when I was gone for something. <laughs> and it's just like, yeah, he's joking, but I mean un- unfortunately, that's kind of how a lot of uh Pastors' wives are treated. They got to be the head of the LWML, or they got to be the mm-hmm. whatever you know, the head of committees, or something like that. And that's not true. And and I would say this too. I, I want to mention as I get into this list. This I don't I don't want people to think that this is me saying anything about my own congregation because it, it, they take good care of my wife. Mm-hmm. This is just general things, just from from life and, right. and other pastors I've talked to. Just some common sense that kind of shows what's behind the collar a little bit that people don't all, I don't think they hear, you know, and if I were to, you know, I kind of joked earlier that, that, uh, speaking for wives, because I don't think most wives would want to actually say these things. Right. (laughs) So, so I'm kind of speaking up for them. Number 11. Don't assume that she knows. Yes. Because, well, one thing is, uh, um, Sometimes people can assume, like if pastors dealing with a certain situation or with people on various issues, they might assume, oh, or think even that, well, obviously he talks about this at home or something like that, and and they don't. Right. And uh, you know, provide the pastors work hard to provide protection for their wives so that so that uh, so that uh, they don't know. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, it's uh, you know, it's like we talked about earlier, right? That um, we don't want uh, uh, in an earlier episode, right? That we don't want to expose our wives to particular things, you right. know, because it, this goes back to number twelve. They're not the pastor, right? And and uh, they didn't receive seminary training. <laughs> yes, right. Uh, for example, uh, if you have a mechanic on the car, right? Yeah. How how often do you say, well, what does your wife think about that? about whether your radiator needs to be replaced or not. 
Uh, I I guess I've never asked that question, so. <laughs> Number 10. Include her, but don't be disappointed if she doesn't on various things, whether it's social outings and that kind of thing. Because, well, one thing is, is um, pastor's wife is can be a lonely thing. Because, uh, um, you know, a lot of times they don't always have the social connections that a pastor does. Mm-hmm. You know, we deal with people all day long, and we get to visit people. You know, I'm doing a lot of visiting lately. I, you know, I get to be very social that way, but I don't take her along necessarily. Right, and not every pastor's wife is the same. Some really thrive uh, and get energized by social situations. That's what an extrovert is. Mm-hmm. Introverts are not people who are shy. Introverts are people who are get energized by uh, being by themselves, by reading a book and the like. Mm-hmm. Um, and so to know whether your uh, pastor's wife is an extrovert or introvert, um, you know, it, it is an important deal because she might get really stressed out mm-hmm. by, you know, uh, going on particular things. So Right. But uh, but sometimes, too, can be, you know, parishioners can be a little standoffish with the wife, too, because they think, well, obviously she's going to, you know, talk to her husband about this or you know, there's a little self-protection for some reason right. can be with a pastor's wife. And so, yeah, uh, just know who your pastor's wife is, you know, think about it. and But invite her. I mean, they really, in, you know, I know my wife really invites, really likes, blah, really likes being invited to things. So, you know. Number nine. Realize she might have some social anxieties. Mm-hmm. In, in the sense that, you know, pastor's, should be to a certain degree people a people person, right? I mean, you know, it's kind of what you wanted a pastor to be able to, yeah, talk to be, people, talk and, to you people, know. and that kind of thing. But, but, uh, but not everyone's like that, and a pastor's wife uh, may not be all that social, but that's okay. Or she might struggle at it, you know, and that's okay too. And she might like to listen rather than you know be the life of the party. Right. And that's great. You know, once again, just comes back to knowing yourself and also knowing your pastor's wife. Number eight. Pray for her, which is kind of an obvious one, but, uh, you know, not only because it's good to pray for others, obviously, but also I think it helps you understand her a little bit when you're thinking about mm-hmm. her and, and praying for her. You know, St. Paul says to pray for everybody, but also pray for your pastor's wife because she's got to live with your pastor. And really, there's almost a the- there is a theological thing in there. If the two become one flesh, in a sense, by praying for your wife, you really are also praying for your pastor, for your pastor and his family. So, number seven, don't overschedule with her husband. Yeah, you know, you know, obviously there has to be evening meetings and that kind of thing, right? Because people work, but but don't expect you know you don't want the husband to be gone from his family a lot of nights, right? You know, and so uh, that's just simple, simple thing, you know. Believe it or not, she actually likes to spend time with her husband. Right. <laughs> Which, uh, you know, after my dedication might seem odd to some people. <laughs> All right. Number six. Pastors' wives tend to miss their families more than their husbands do. Okay. Yeah. So, okay. Yep. So, uh, I think that's just important important to remember that sometimes because because uh you know they left their home to or sometimes go far away you know 
a pastor's wife never really live in their hometown anymore. Right. And probably shouldn't from yeah. what the Bible says. Right. But, you know. Right. So they're by marrying their husband, they're saying, you know, I will live a distance from, from my family. And, and they, I, they tend to be a little bit more sensitive to that, I think. Mm-hmm. I could be wrong. But uh, they do. So Number five. Don't sweat the small stuff. This is good advice for every Christian, but especially for your pastor's wife. Because your pastor's wife is not going to be perfect, is she? No. And she might make a an offhanded co- comment that she didn't even think about. Right. You know? Everybody does. Mm-hmm. It's just, you know, um, giving people a little slack and applying the Eighth Commandment is a great thing. Yeah. You know? Just if they said something hurtful, you know, and uh, just don't even, you know, think that maybe, you know, it didn't even cross her mind that she wasn't, you know, she wasn't being malicious or anything. So, yeah, you know, yeah, you know, it's uh, just a common courtesy because once once again, they're not the pastor. Right. And uh, although, you know, you can also apply this to your pastor, too. That's true. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Number four. Uh, never ask her to defend her husband. Mm-hmm. There can be sometimes a tendency to place a wife in a situation where she's somehow put in the middle of things, if, especially if there's a disagreement or something. Yeah, she's not a shield. Right. Uh, or sometimes people are nervous to talk to their pastor so about something that bothers them, so they'll talk to their wife who, you know, can be more approachable. Right. And uh, that, that kind of just puts them in an awkward situation because... Because, you know, she doesn't officially speak for her husband. Her... It, it's like when Jeroboam sends his wife to the blind prophet Ahijah in Kings. Mm-hmm. You know, what is that first? Kings? Well, that was the first thing that I thought of. Like, Berg. It should it should have been so. <laughs> but yeah, just an example, a biblical example of how a man puts his wife. You know, rather than going to the prophet himself, right? Mm-hmm. Because he's established all this godless worship. Um, you know, he sends his wife, right? Which is kind of a, so. And maybe we should, I should do a top 12 list of pastors, how to help your wives sleep better. Right. Maybe don't do a dedication in the beginning of a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I can't wait. This is going to come out in the morning, on a Sunday morning at 5 a.m. The day before you guys go on a vacation, <laughs> I'm going to come home for church and she's going to be listening to the podcast and I'm going to get you're not going to hear what she thought. I'm going to hear what she thought. <laughs> <laughs> and then you get to spend hours in a car with her afterwards. Yep. <laughs> but, you know, when it comes to something like that, she she knew what she married. Don't feel too bad for her. Hey, well, I mean, someday you'll get the first and third C figured out. And That's right. Right. It'll be 10%, be okay. per- 10% better, right? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Number three. Offer support rather than advice. Because uh, um, pastors' wives are very sensitive, and they don't want generally to offend anyone. And so sometimes you can people can over-advise things, and it seems like criticism, and it become can become something where a wife may really overly internalize what is said and take it and, and feel bad about about it. Right. Yeah. Sometimes I think just letting them speak and, you know, um, 
if they ask for advice, that's awesome. Right. If not, just, you know, say, hey, I'm here for you. Right. You know? So. But if, sometimes, you know, they could have, they might want a voice where they want an honest opinion about certain things, you know. But by the same hand, um, especially if it's a young pastor's wife, um, uh, sometimes advice can come a lot and it, it just, you know what I mean. Right. If it's unsolicited advice, it's, unless you have a really close relationship with them. That's the big thing. Mm-hmm. If you have a really close relationship with them, it might be different, but, you know. Because wives will generally analyze things even more than you would. And, and they they lose about as much sleep as pastors do about all these things. Right. And so so what may come across as, oh, I just want to offer some helpful advice, could come across to the pastor's wife as being kind of critical or, or something that or would. Or that I'm doing something really wrong. Right. And then they feel guilty about it. Right. Number two. And I don't have a, a parsonage, but this is just something I would say that would help a pastor's wife if they do have a parsonage. Okay? The, the parsonage might be the church's house, but it's the pastor's wife's home. Yep. And that, that can be often a delicate balance where, uh, um, where uh, well, it's always, well, we need something in the house. Who decides... You know what it looks like and those type of things and and uh you know uh every every wife likes to have some control over what their house looks like and and, uh, and you know to make a home household for themselves and uh um i know your wife is very patient with the picture you have in your kitchen oh she loves that picture <laughs> that's why it hasn't moved in almost a year <laughs> would you like to explain it now or well yeah i i, I guess we can i've got this <laughs> Picture of the Big Lebowski in my in my kitchen, and it's uh, they were actually taking bets. A lot of my pastor friends were taking bets about how long that picture was going to be there, and that's like the only thing in the house that hasn't moved. <laughs> my wife likes the color, so it stays, which there is you go. amazing. Um, so it's always a delicate balance, but you know, I know you know people who take care of the parsonage take pride in it, and they want to do what's best, but also. You know, a wife also takes pride in in the house that that she's in, and mm-hmm. so it's always a a delicate balance. But it really helps. Yeah, give her room to to do that kind of stuff because then she'll feel more open to like inviting people over. Mm-hmm. You know, inviting parishioners over and entertaining and that kind of stuff. And so it kind of goes both ways, which is pretty awesome. Mm-hmm. You know, when everybody feels welcome at the parsonage, that's that's a good thing. That's a good thing. And. Number one. Simply continue to care for their needs. You know? Right. Whether they be physical needs, we've gotten a lot of vegetables mm-hmm. uh, from uh, from parishioners, which has been really wonderful for our physical needs. Um, uh, emotional, mm-hmm. right? Yep. You know, just being nice, you know, being nice to them. It's, yeah, it's just be a Christian. Yeah. It's not rocket scientist, science, but... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> Sticky note. <laughs> All right, but uh, yeah, but I, I just thought I w- would give uh, maybe some things to think about, and and if you're listening, say you're a pastor's wife and you wanted to uh, to offer your own suggestions of things that they could do, let us know. Right. Where can they reach us on that stuff? They can reach us at they can add us bro at clerical errors p for podcast. Have we gotten any Twitter followings yet? Yeah, we had someone responded. We Pete, someone said something on Twitter. 
Yeah, we got uh, a tweet. We got a single one. <laughs> nice. Hey, that's like a thousand percent upgrade. Increase, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's infinitely better than what it was before. <laughs> All right. Um, so that brings us to Berg's Bodacious Blasphemies. Peter, play the intro. Berg's Bodacious Blasphemies is the part of the show where Berg seeks to sell you ancient damned illusions by repackaging them for modern consumption. In short, Berg makes bad stuff sound bodacious. So, my blasphemy for today is what I I talked a few a, a while ago about uh, progressivism, right? Mm-hmm. How something simply being new was a good thing. Well, this week I want to talk about Christless conservatism. Okay, mm-hmm. being a Christless conservative, and I pulled this from G.K. Chesterton, and he has this really great quote about it. He says. The whole modern world has divided itself into conservatives and progressives. The business of progressives is to go on making mistakes. The business of conservatives is to prevent mistakes from being corrected. Even when the revolutionist might himself repent of his revolution, the traditionalist is already defending it as part of his tradition. Thus we have two great types, the advanced person who rushes us into ruin and the retrospective person who admires the ruins. He admires them especially by moonlight, not to say moonshine. Each new blunder of the progressive or prig becomes instantly a legend of immemorial antiquity for the snob. So that's where I'm coming from on this. Okay. All right. All right. So here we go. You'll understand as it goes on. Do you hate change? Do you resist good and salutary hymns and practices simply because you didn't grow up with them? Well then, Christless conservatism might just might be for you. When you're a Christless conservative, what was good enough for Dad is good enough for me. That's why the Christless conservative hates Abraham. That liberal and radical gave up his dad's old-time religion of idol worship so that he could follow some newfangled command from God. We sure don't want to be like Abraham, right? Oh, and look at King Jeroboam the first. He's our kind of guy. He thought that the new temple in Jerusalem, not even a century old, was radical. Why not go back to the old-fashioned religion? Why not set up a temple in Bethel? Didn't God appear to our forefather Jacob there over 400 years before Mount Sinai? Why not set up a temple in Dan? Didn't they win that land with the Lord's help and with their ephod and Levite? Why not dispense with the Levitical priesthood? Before Sinai, every dad was the priest of his house. Look at Jeroboam, the true Christless conservative. When you're a Christless conservative, you want to maintain the status quo. You don't want to rock the boat too much. You join the ranks of kings like Asa, Jehoshaphat, Jehoash, Amaziah, Uzziah, and Jotham. You hear this phrase time and time again. However, the high places were not removed. The people still sacrificed and burnt incense on the high places. Boy, what conservatives. These men weren't Christless conser- were Christless conservatives, not like Hezekiah or, heaven forbid, Josiah. Josiah is the arch-radical. He had no time for traditions, history, or the like. His guiding light was the book of the law, the Holy Scriptures. Boy, he would sure destroy a congregation today. Oh, and don't get me started on Jesus. Jesus blasted the traditions of the elders and fathers, which, like a mudslide, had hidden the treasures of God's law and gospel, and it had made the word of God null and void. Why actually honor your mom and dad? You can dedicate it all to the temple. Or... Christ can be the, cent- the heart and center of your conservatism. You can conserve, guard, and maintain the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. You can keep the word of God in your hearts 
and hand over this priceless and ancient treasure to a generation which is yet unborn. And you can even conserve those traditions and practices which help to explain the Christian faith, the love that God has for us in Christ, and the forgiveness which he offers. We preserve ancient hymns, liturgy, and the like because it does just that. That's why we celebrate special days like Christmas and Easter. They are wonderful times of the year to proclaim the God who became flesh, suffered for our sins, and rose for our justification. But don't hold on to tradition simply because it's old. That's never a reason to do anything. In fact, it might actually be hindering the gospel rather than humbly portraying it. Very good. Very good. I I like that because I I run into that often in the sense that, uh, you know, uh, why don't we do this anymore? Or why don't we we do that anymore? And uh, because they actually weren't always helpful when it comes to the gospel. Right. And it's funny because usually these traditions that they remember aren't really that old. Mm-hmm. They're actually like maybe, you know, like, for example, the Unity Candle is only like 50 years old. Mm-hmm. Um, and, the you know, things like that, you know. So the thing is, is it's like we don't just simply do something because it's old, because we've, quote unquote, always done it that way. Well, maybe you haven't always done it that way. And even more importantly, it might not be the best way of, of proclaiming the gospel. Right, right. I, I think a good example that sometimes pastor uh, might run into is is how often you have communion. Right. Um, you'll hear people say things like, well, when I was a kid, we only had communion four times a year, mm-hmm. right? Which is what they grew up with. Now, while, their grand, while my grandparents went through that, mm-hmm. right, their great their great and great great grandparents didn't, because in the in the Reformation, uh, they had the Lord's Supper every Sunday, right, and every and every feast day. Why? Well, what does Jesus say about it? Do this often in remembrance of me. Why? For the forgiveness of sins, right? Are you a, when you when you're asking about frequency of the Lord's Supper, you should always ask yourself this question: Am I a sinner? And I hope you say yes. Mm-hmm. Because otherwise you shouldn't be going to the Lord's Supper, right? Uh, Does the Lord's Supper give you the forgiveness of sins? Yes. So then, if you're a sinner, if you need forgiveness, then why wouldn't you want this? Why wouldn't you want what Jesus offers? Why wouldn't you want to eat his body and drink his blood? You know, we never say, you know, the sermon forgives sins also, right? Mm -hmm. But we never say, oh, well, you know, we only want a sermon once a month because otherwise, you know, we'll just get too used to it. Mm-hmm. Right, although given the, the the choice, maybe someone would rather have. Maybe, been... <laughs> maybe somebody would. <laughs> I guess it depends on the preacher. But, but, but... my point, well, my point, I wanted to make with that is, is well, the whole we've always done it that way doesn't really hold water in the sense of well, if you want to give Christ to the people and you want to receive it, then you want to do it right. often. Right. I mean, you know, and that's and that's a that's a great thing. And we should have discussions like that. And if you have an objection to something, it shouldn't be, well, this is the way we've always done it. It's kind of like this old story, right, where this woman always cut the ends off of her uh, her roast, right? Mm-hmm. And then she's like, well, why do I do this? So she went to her mom and asked, and she's like, I don't know. I learned it from my mom. So they go to the grandma, and she said, well, my pan was too small, so I had to <laughs> cut off. <laughs> there are times when... Um, the things that you had to do at the time, mm-hmm. um, like, you know, 
back in the frontier days when you only had a pastor every eight to 10 weeks Mm -hmm. because he was circuit riding, um, maybe having the Lord's Supper, you know, every quarter was a necessity. Right. Right? Right. But it's not that way anymore. Right. And the traditions that we have should be used to serve the gospel. Right. Not to enslave the gospel. Exactly. And, and, uh, And so... You know, I believe that a lot of the most of the traditions we have are good, and they they have served the church well. Exactly, and, and and we should keep those. But it's no different than Martin Luther when he reformed the the divine service. He he kept what was good because they served the church well for many years. Right. He got rid of the traditions that uh, were Christless, that pulled away, pointed to something other than Christ, whether it was the saints or to Mary in an improper way or to the Pope in an improper way. All those things, although they were a tradition. And they were very old. Very old traditions, too. You're talking about almost a thousand years old, and yet we cut them out because they didn't agree with the scriptures. So that's the thing, guys. Uh, Just because you're conservative, that isn't always the best thing. Right. What matters is, is that you're a conservative on the things of the gospel. Mm-hmm. Right. That you keep these things, guard them in your heart. Right. That those who hear the word of God and keep it. Uh, the Greek word there is terrain, to guard, to keep. Right. Mm-hmm. To preserve. Right. Those are the things we want to hand down. And I don't get, you know, I think we see a lot of this in the, the political scale, too, in the sense that, like, if you're on, you know, if you, if you like a particular candidate, or a, or a government official or something, or a politician, it seems like we have very few people who say, well, I like 75% of the things that he does or she does. Right. You know, it seems a lot of 100%. Everything he does is perfectly right. And every 100% of what they, the other person, what the, what the other opponent does, that's all bunk, you know, right. or whatever. And we don't ha- really have a lot of honest discourse. Right. So, well, very good. Very good. Uh, um, if you have any questions or comments, you can add us, bro. Indeed. <laughs> All right, that brings us to our concentrationally impaired Bible study. Peter, play the intro. Do you have impaired concentration? Then this is for you. It's the Impaired Concentration Bible Study. One verse, one verse only. I really like this music. So Keep soothing. playing it for a while, Peter. This is nice. Hmm. There's a fly bothering me. <laughs> All right, what is it, uh, Obadiah? All right, so this verse is a little longer, so just be prepared. Okay. Just steal yourself. I got okay? this. I'm going to, like, write words as you say it so I can contemplate on them. Okay. All right. All right. Obadiah 18. The house of Jacob shall be a fire, and the house of Joseph a flame, and the house of Esau stubble. They shall burn them and consume them, and there shall be no survivor for the house of Esau, for the Lord has spoken. Okay. So, go for it. <laughs> How do you preach this? Um, well, I need it in front of me. <laughs> All right, so, so as I, I look at this, um, we, are, we are good Christian men who share, and he shared the Bible with me here. So it's talking talking about talking uh, talking. <laughs> okay, I see how tables have turned. Vicar's not here now. <laughs> we need to get the next vicar so we can laugh at him. I'm getting uncomfortable here. <laughs> Where's my safe space? 
So it's about the continued judgment of God, mm -hmm. right? And uh, there shall be no survivor for the house of Esau, the verse ends, mm -hmm. which goes back to the Edomites. Right. And uh, I think we need to keep in mind that when we talk about the Edomites, it's not just the Edomites. He's really talking really about all the enemies of God, wouldn't you say? Yeah. They kind of represent for Obadiah and the people, not just them. I mean, he has some specific references to them. Right. So in this verse, right, he, uh, this is actually a future prediction physically that uh, um, during the time of the Maccabees, the uh, um, the Jewish people actually conquered the Edomites and forcibly converted them to Judaism. Okay. And so they were no longer um, Edomites in that sense. Mm -hmm. Right in that sense. So uh, King Herod, for example, is an Edomite by birth, but uh, his people have been forcibly converted to Judaism, right? And so that's actually um, that there is a physical fulfillment of that prophecy mm -hmm. uh, during the intertestamental period, okay? Which you can read about in the Apocrypha, like Maccabees, uh, like First Maccabees, for example, right? Spiritually, um, here we see that the church becomes a fire to consume God's enemies, right? Because right now the church is undergoing fire herself, right? They're burning the temple. They're burning the city. Um, they're taking all these people into slavery. And yet the church of God uh, is a fire, right? Mm -hmm. And um, it consumes wickedness. It, and it uh, overcomes it. Right. You know, I think that what I like about this discussion is the fact that I think we we feel as though, though uh, that uh, the church is protectionist, that we're just... You know, we're just victims. We're victims, and and we we huddle together and hope the world just doesn't consume us, and its sin consume us, and the evil consume us. When this is really talks about the righteousness of God going on the offensive in the sense. Now it doesn't go on the offensive in the same way that the world does. Right. Hey, we just talked about cremation, right, for toxin tastings. Yeah. So, do you think being stubble is good? No. No. Right. And it burns. Yeah, well, <laughs> I mean, still is good when you want to get that kind of manly uh, facial right. hair Five thing going. Five o'clock shadow. Yeah. So. Yeah, but but uh, but I think because it's a different kind of overtaking the world with the gospel, we don't force Christianity upon people. Right. Now they, I guess, they did with uh, with converting the Edomites. Right. And so, as a nation, they were basically dissolved. Right. So there was a physical fulfillment to this. But and the thing is, is even in this world, it may not happen in our lifetime. But on the on the day of judgment, St. Paul says we're going to judge angels. And, right? and, and, and when Obadiah provides comfort of something that will happen, even though it doesn't even always happen in their own lifetime, mm -hmm. because God's word is so sure, you can live as though it has already happened. Right. And that's why it ends with those wonderful words. The Lord has spoken it. He can never go back on his word. So in the same way, just like uh, the prophets promised, you know, pointed to Christ, it would happen long after they, they died, but they would take comfort in the fact that God said it would happen. And so it was real to them, even even though it was hundreds of, year, hundreds of years before he came, because God said it. And so it was real to them. In much the same way, when we look at the, the, the second and the return of Christ, right? Right. God said, Jesus said, I am going to return and judge between the living and the dead, separate the sheep and the goats, and I will bring them to to uh, in my by my house are many rooms. Right. What are you laughing at, Bert? <laughs> <laughs> that fly? No, it, uh, 
you you were kind of veering off, and then you came back. I so <laughs> it's been a long uh, week for Bullhagen. It, it has been a lot going on. Yeah, so I could use a couple of days off. So, amen. <laughs> All right, so on to confound the clerics. Peter, Peter play, play the, the intro. intro. Confound the clerics. So, did we have any questions this week? Okay, yeah. This week we have a question from Carla. And uh, Carla says, can Satan be considered the Antichrist? Well, I would say he can be an Antichrist, right? Goes against Christ. But particularly when you look at the Bible, the Antichrist comes from within the church. Because uh, when, when you think of the Antichrist, those outside of, of the Ark of the Church already belong to to the to the to Satan, so to the devil, to the Antichrist. So, uh, Berg, you have a passage you're looking up here, right? So, um, one of the clearest passages on the Antichrist comes from Second Thessalonians chapter two. First John tells us that there are many Antichrists, but there is also one preeminent man of sin. Okay, one particular Antichrist uh, who is above all. Uh, and the enemy of our Lord Jesus Christ. This, uh, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 talks about many different things about the Antichrist, um, that it is the mystery of lawlessness. He's in the church. Um, he is. Uh, he opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God or object of worship so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God. Okay? Um, so... Who is this man? Is this man Satan? Uh, well, no, this man can't be Satan because in verse 9 of 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, it says this, The coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan, with all power and false signs and wonders, and with all wicked deception for those who are perishing because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. So, this man is not Satan. This man of lawlessness is not Satan, but he uh, works it, with the activity of Satan. And what's right. the activity of Satan? The activity of Satan is um, false miracles, right? Miracles that uh, are done in order to lead uh, people away from Jesus. Um, and uh, our Lutheran confessions say that the Antichrist is the papacy, okay? Uh, the which we The Pope. Um, not any particular pope, but the office of the pope. Because he okay. claims to speak for Christ when he doesn't. Right, and that the Bible is subject to him. Um, and we can see that there have been particular miracles, um, even in our own day, uh, false miracles to lead people astray. Like, for example, the Lady of Fatima, mm -hmm. right? Uh, where these people see apparitions of the Virgin Mary. Um, you see old uh, thing. Well, I mean, the whole the Roman Catholic Church actually uh, developed this office called the Devil's Advocate because there were so many miracles of you know saints weeping blood and. I remember know, when I was first a pastor, there was I was kind of in uh, Central Illinois, and there was a a tree that a lot of Roman Catholics would go visit. That somehow in the bark you could see Mary in the tree bark. <laughs> Right, you know, or like... Uh, I, I always thought they were barking up a wrong tree. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, and that's the thing. It's like trying to claim that Pope John Paul II is a is a saint. 
right? Mm-hmm. And so they look for all these miracles and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, you know, rather than thinking of these things as simple delusions, right, or hallucinations, perhaps Satan is actually working false miracles in order to deceive people, to lead people away from Jesus. Mm-hmm. And, I, and, I, and by the way, I think, too, if people need... I think what happens is people need such miracles for their uh, spiritual assuredness, so they can be assured that what they they hear and and see is true. So they'll, if they really want to see, you know, Jesus in a cloud that's passing by, they're gonna at some point gonna see it. Right, and I mean, we all feel this in the weakness of our flesh. I remember being a kid and asking for a sign, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but I was wrong to do so. I was. I was wrong to do so because. Uh, we have Jesus' word, and Jesus' word is true. Even if I don't feel it, even if I don't see the results right away. And so, so getting back to then to the whole understanding of the Antichrist is because it works in this way. A lot of times, uh, Jesus would say, and in Matthew, that uh, it looks like a wolf in sheep's clothing. In many ways, it may come across as being very religious and sincere. Right. And they helping a lot really of people good. and really good. And one of the things I always say is temptation by nature is tempting. Right. And what I mean by that is, you know, when we think of temptations, we just think of, oh, it's going to want me to do something bad. But there are a lot of things that seem good and right and appeal to our what we would think would be our better nature, but it really isn't good. Right. And so... And so that's the kind of thing that I would say marks the Antichrist, where it deceives people. It makes people think, this is what Jesus says when Jesus doesn't say that. This is what, how I can know I'm saved when Jesus doesn't say that either. Right. And, and false, fi- helps us find false hopes and false promises. But a lot of times it appeals to what we would might perceive as our better nature or things that are good and right. Right. I mean, who doesn't want to be like Mother Teresa? Who doesn't want to, you how, know? How much can she bench? <laughs> Stupid. <laughs> but you I want to say Peter edited that out, but I know you're not going to. <laughs> it wouldn't go out. But It'd stay in no matter what you say. <laughs> oh, boy. Now I'm lost. Um, Mother but, Teresa. Know, right, Mother Teresa. Um, we all want to be like Mother Teresa, you say. Right. Who doesn't want to, like, give away all their property and serve the poor and, you know, be that example to the world? Right? Everybody looks up to that and say, yeah, this is a good person. right? But the question is, why? Why did she do this? Well, if she didn't get married because she thought that you know, it was better not to be married, that you know, she occupied a higher office than that of being a wife and a mother, um, you know, St. Paul says that that is the doctrine of demons, right? that mm-hmm. the forbidding of marriage is the doctrine of demons. And yeah. if, if, if she is a saint and you're supposed to pray to her, guess who you're not praying to? Right. There's one mediator, Jesus right. Christ. So that's it's very, very tempting. You know, I know it's pretty prosaic to say, right? We You know that. <laughs> but it's insidious. It's subtle. And that's why uh, you have to be on your on your on your guard for it. That's why Jesus says, beware false prophets, be on your guard for them. And, and once you say a lot of the, the, the ills that we face as a church from a societal level, they come as, oh, when it comes to the transgender stuff, well, what is the most caring? The most caring thing is to do is to accept this for who they are. Yeah. And to love them anyways. And it all comes across as, 
You know, what is the most loving and caring and right and good thing to do? And you're not very loving and caring, you know. Well, you know, some of this stuff is going on, too. I, I see some of these discussions on Facebook where people try to defend the biblical truth, right? And they'll be like, well, we shouldn't even care about what the Bible says. What we should really care about is how to make this campus accepting to all students. When it's supposed to be a church campus. Mm-hmm. When it's supposed to be a campus that is led and driven by the Word of God. And and you see with the subtle change that it did to the Word of God. The Word of God then is not what? Caring. Right. Exactly. God is love, but except for that situation. <laughs> Indeed. So, all right. Well, I don't really have news that bothers Berg, and we're running kind of long. So Yeah, we're pretty long-winded today. So. Yeah, and you probably tell I'm a little more sleepy. It's kind of a long, long week for, for Bullhagen. So, uh, yeah, I've had a couple really early mornings with uh, uh, people in the hospital. Thanks be to God, they uh, uh, their surgeries were successful. Um, I know you've had a funeral, so that's the thing, guys. Pray for your pastors because sometimes there are weeks where they— they get kind of run down. Yep. You know, and uh, we really appreciate but, your prayers. Yeah, but you know what? Uh, for me, when I'm run down, it's it just it just means more I'm tired. It's because you know if I come home from like uh, yesterday, I had a, a funeral, and then uh, I made about four or five visits, home visits, later in the day and in right. the evening, and uh, my voice was tired, and I was tired, but but I, I figure if there's a better way to have a tired voice and to talk God's talk word, God's word to people and to, right. to and visit I, with And God's that's what people. I meant. I meant run down like in physically. Like, right. I mean, cause it's in times like that, that you're like, yeah, I can see why God, you know, called me here, mm-hmm. you know, and it, it makes it all worthwhile. And then you come home and you can't even think. And you're like, I need to say a word. And I, I can't. Think of it. <laughs> <laughs> or I need to record a podcast. <laughs> right. <laughs> So yeah, um, we do. We we really appreciate your prayers too. You know, um, pray for us because you know we have long weeks that sometimes drain us physically, and and we love it. That's why we're that's that's one of the reasons right. why we're pastors, right? Because we do love helping people. We love giving God's word to people. Um, but we're also only human, and you know we run out of strength. So pray for us. Pray for us. All right. So uh, after after we've had a few sermons now, we can uh, continue on with the sticky notes. Indeed. Hey, remember this? Um, I know your wife is very patient with the picture you have in your kitchen. Oh, she loves that picture. <laughs> That's why it hasn't moved in almost a year. <laughs> Would you like to explain it now? or? Well, yeah, I, I, I guess we can. I've got this picture of the Big Lebowski in my in my kitchen. And it's, uh, they were actually taking bets. A lot of my pastor friends were taking bets <laughs> about how long that picture was going to be there. And that's like the only thing in the house that hasn't moved. <laughs> my wife likes the color, so it stays, which there is you go. amazing. <laughs> <laughs> yep. And what about this? And maybe we should, I should do a top 12 list of pastors, how to help your wives sleep better. Right. Maybe don't do a dedication in the beginning of a podcast. (laughs) (laughs) All right. I can't wait. This is going to come out in the morning on a Sunday morning at 5 a.m. The day before you guys go on a vacation. (laughs) 
<laughs> I'm going to come home for church, and she's going to be listening to the podcast. And I'm going to get, you're not going to hear what she thought. I'm going to hear what she thought. <laughs> <laughs> and then you get to spend hours in a car with her afterwards. Yep. <laughs> but, you know, when it comes to something like that, she she knew what she married. Don't feel too bad for her. Hey, well, I mean, someday you'll get the first and third C figured out. And That's right. Right. That'll be 10%, be okay. per- 10% better, right? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I miss Baldwin. We I, should. I, I want to hear. Hey, hey, Cheetah. Uh, maybe we can have him call in and give us some animal noises. <laughs> nice. What about this, Berg? I would like to dedicate this show to my wife of 25 years. Julie, I am pleased that I have given you the best 25 years of your life. I will never forget the sermon given at our wedding, Four C's of Christian Marriage. I'm very sorry about the first and third C. I'll try harder. I want to thank you for giving birth to the best podcast producer that a husband and father could ever ask for and for our three other children. I realize just how much joy it would bring you if our listeners add us at Twitter, bro. So honey, the next time we are in Walmart, pick out the most meaningful anniversary card. Imagine it came from me and put it back because $4 for a card is ridiculous. Happy anniversary, my lovely wife, Julie. And don't give up on me, especially when it comes to the first and third C. And maybe in 25 years, I'll be at least 10% better. (laughs) (laughs) All right, enough nonsense. Uh, Thank you for listening to the Clerical Errors Podcast. I'm Bullhagen. And I'm Burke. And may your tomorrow be more pleasant than it was yesterday. Thank you for joining us. This podcast is available on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, or wherever else you get your podcasts. Questions, thoughts, concerns? You can contact us on Facebook at facebook.com slash podcast. On Twitter, at P for podcast, or email us at feedback at clericalheirs.org. Thanks for listening to Clerical Heirs. See you next time.